Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sales Podcast. Today is a dope episode. We're going to talk about some stuff that y'all need to know about, right? You know, we have um, amazing people that come on the show everywhere from Jada Pinkett to Cicely Tyson, Hillary Clinton, etc. But I'm going to tell you that Howard Conyers may be the most important guest we've ever had on this show because we're going to end a lot of debates. We're going to end a lot of disputes. Uh, we're going to talk about something that's arguably the most important thing that we have. That's barbecue. But we gonna before we get to that, Howard, what's happening, man? How you feeling today, man? Man, I'm doing good, Bakar. It's an honor and pleasure to be on the show with you today. I'm glad to be here, man. We we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc uh, of their career. And yours is a is a varied one. You've done a lot of different things. You're an engineer, an author, a historian, and an entrepreneur. Talk about your upbringing in Manning and how you got into all the things you're doing now. So come we're from Clarendon County, Paxville, um, one of the most significant areas in South Carolina in terms of history and culture, I'm, history and culture, for sure, and what it means to the black community. Um, the love of education really drove my early growth. Um, growing up on a farm, it led me to leaving Manning after I graduated in North Carolina, going to North Carolina A&T, studying biosystems engineering. Then after that, I went to get my master's and PhD in mechanical, engin mechanical engineering from Duke University. Upon leaving Duke University, I went to work with NASA uh, as an engineer, working in rocket rocket engine propulsion testing. And Man, what is that? You work for NASA? Yeah, I work for NASA. Talk to me about that. I mean, talk, you can't just breeze through that. What you do, you you know? I mean, what, tell me what you did exactly. I mean, I used to design, help design the facility to test rocket engines, uh, the ones that help put people into space, whether it's the RS twenty five, which is the same engine that uh, Dr. Ryman Nair was on with the space shuttle main engine to developing technology for NASA, whether it was high-speed video cameras and now helping to help spun um, technology. So people forget about the whole engineering part and working for NASA and more people are more interested in me doing barbecue. And, um, and that's important to the culture. But uh, the other thing that's important to the culture that I do that people don't know is I make alcohol. What type of alcohol you make? Like moonshine? I make legal moonshine in a legal distillery in South Carolina. Where's your distillery at? I might need to stop by there. I don't don't say it on air. I don't want Sled to stop by. No, Sled that came out. <laughs> Where is it? In Paxville, South Carolina. In Paxville. How big is it? How much moonshine you uh uh we don't make a whole lot, but uh it's on a five acre farm in Paxville, South Carolina, about twenty five hundred square feet. But it's more industrial, it's more manufacturer than actual um coming to retail to the public. Oh, I got you. I got. But you. hopefully, in twenty twenty four, distribution will be realized. Look at that. All right. Do you, are you going to go back to NASA at all? Are you going to do anything with this? Yeah, I'm still. I'm still with them. I'm not leaving NASA till I'm ready. Oh, you're still with them. Do you say you go to Huntsville or wherever wherever they go all the time? Still, uh, I work all over Asia. I work with a program called SBR SDTTR. So, um, just working. I just do a variety of different things, and barbecue is just part of my upbringing. So I don't want to forget that. I mean, that's that's what I came here. I mean, whole hog barbecue and making help sure people know the truth in barbecue. That's right. Oh man! And where did you go to school? I went to public school, Manor High School, and I went to uh, undergrad at North Carolina A and T State University. I'm an Aggie. Um, then I went to Duke University for a master's and PhD. Gotcha. Before uh, you, let, let's talk about before we get into barbecue, let's talk about your career as an engineer and how that merged with your other passion in barbecue and distilling. How have you merged these three passions and who are some of the people and the teachers that inspired you to pursue the work that you're doing now? 
That's a hard, I mean, I'm going to say a lot of it was driven by my family and my community. Uh, my father pursued, he wasn't a well, he wasn't an engineer, but he pursued the love of education. Um, and me becoming an engineer is just a step above, not a step above, but it's a, it's the next step when you're a welder, because you also solve a lot of problems on the farm. Um, one teacher, Michael Haynes, um, inspired me. But other than that, it was just more, I just want, I always loved math and science, Bakari. I didn't love anything else in school besides math, math and science. And then the barbecue was something that I just enjoyed doing growing up, because doing the barbecue, that's where we had a real history classroom. It wasn't really, uh, for me, the activity of cooking whole hogs. It really was a classroom and how to develop into a man into the American South. Yeah. And you are, you are literally doing God's work down there with, with barbecue. And we're going to jump right into that. I'm most interested in this work that you've done around barbecue, the history of barbecue and the work you've done to elevate the role of black pit masters in the history of barbecue. Can you talk about how you came about this and the work you've done to highlight the work of black pit masters? When I looked out across, honestly, with barbecue in the national scene with being in New Orleans um, and going to different events, I realized that Black people wasn't being talked about. And what I realized growing up, everybody who I knew who cooked whole hog barbecue, majority was Black. Um, and a lot of people in the like New Orleans area, New Orleans, Louisiana, didn't know anything about whole hog barbecue. And then I started seeing newspaper articles and I didn't see anybody. And so I start... Uh, I gave a lecture one time at Dillard University, and that kind of kick-started it. Um, and what happened was I asked my father to draw a pit of how he cooked barbecue when he growing up, and he learned how to cook it in a hole in the ground. And when I saw that pitch, it made I started seeing articles saying enslaved Africans created American barbecue or had a significant hand in creating American barbecue with barring influences from the indigenous and other cultures, but they were the, one, the masterminds who invented it. That is when I went down this wild goose chase, probably like about seven, eight years ago, even more than that, probably 10 years ago. I basically have given the last 10 years of my life to searching out the truth of barbecue. I didn't want people to say Black people invented barbecue without having the actual receipts to back it up. Talk to our listeners about your book, Black Hand in the Pit. Why did you write the book and what's it about? That was a coffee table book that I never shared that book publicly, you know, and the reason why I didn't share it publicly because it was a part of a, it came later part of a bigger work um, that will be published. I, share, I put it together because I wanted people to see my research, my receipts, but I also wanted to see how I analyze the American barbecue story. And it was a, be a blend between a coffee table book as well as a research book. And so it's not available for purchase yet, but it will be one day soon, right? It one day. And tell me what the process is and what you're cooking up with that book, because I think it's necessary for people to get that and that. I mean, for that to be a part of people's history and learning. Um. I'm, I'm still, I'm writing out all my thoughts and I'm really focusing on the greater South, not just South Carolina. And I had to go to pretty much every state and document and, and find the research. It was a lot of hard work finding research because what African-Americans did in barbecue is not written in books. Oftentimes it's a, just a little small segue. So I had to piece together a, a narrative and, and bring it together with real facts and real analysis to bring it together. So like when I wrote, when I was, and when I researched barbecue, I not only researched barbecue, but I had to research like how the country grew when the countries expanded west uh, with capitalism and the better gain new land to plant cotton. So I had to understand how that part of the American society grew because barbecue went the went with the enslaver with the enslaved people heads and not just in a book. So it was more than just uh, 
going into the archives, car, it was you had to do a holistic approach to really answer all those questions. Going to archives, look at pictures, travel to the a few states like Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, and North Carolina, as well as South Carolina, and going some places that not um, they're not big places at all. They're small towns. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, when did the history of barbecue become whitewashed? I think it really became whitewashed when a show called Pitmasters came on, and that really just opened it up for the masses. And um, it, it it never left. And the reason why, one of the major reasons why it never left Bukhari is because barbecue, to be involved on a national scale, you have to get involved in barbecue competitions. The economic disparities for Black and white Americans to better participate in those competitions is large. And it's not no um, sleight of hand if you got to go to a barbecue competition and you got to drop ten to fifteen thousand dollars and you don't have corporate sponsors to back you. You may have these back drop forty, and and you may do ten to fifteen ten to fifteen of those a year. So if you want me to answer the question, when barbecue competitions became big, and well as when this show Barbecue Pitmasters came on national TV, and because growing up I didn't even know the word pitmasters. Everybody I knew who cooked barbecue was barbecue cooks. Everybody. I never heard the word pitmaster growing up as a child. And I, I grew up yeah, from 81. It's, it's, yeah, it's just somebody over the grill, for real. For over real. the grill. Yeah. Um, for my listeners who may not be Southern or who may not understand the cultural importance of barbecue to Black Southerners, talk a bit about why this history matters as we understand American food and American history and American food culture. Barbecue is important because if you if you don't understand barbecue, you really don't understand American history because barbecue was the dish that was in the backdrop of every significant event in this country. The reason it was so significant to black culture and the black people, because we were the individuals who did the work on the plantation. And when we got off the plantation, we still continue to do the work for the greatest portion. It created a sense of fellowship and community. And even in the most segregated times in the American South, um, people can't, Barbecue was that dish that people would cross racial lines for. And oftentimes, the running joke was they would say Black people cook the barbecue dish the best. They may not own the restaurant, but if you go into the back of the restaurant, it was probably Black Hands. There was no probably. It was Black Hands operating the pits. Talk about the culture of barbecue of Black pit masters in South Carolina and the whole hall barbecue technique. And how does that differ from barbecue in other parts of the country or even other parts of South Carolina and North Carolina? We'll, hold on, we'll get to South Carolina and North Carolina, but just answer the first part first. Whole hog barbecue is the oldest vestige of American barbecue in this country. It was what was created on these soils. And, and why I say it's the oldest form of American barbecue, you got to take into account when barbecue was invented, they didn't have refrigerators and all they had was in pl plantations. And so they would bring whole animals to cook the feed for political rallies. So you should really appreciate this. When barbecue is the only dish that you can mass produce to feed thousands of people. And on plantations, back in the Virginias, in the early colonial days, barbecue was the dish to feed people to get votes. And, and it, still is. It, it still is, but not to the extent it was. And so it was whole animal cooking. 
tell me the difference between barbecue and 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 the different regions of the country, and particularly barbecue. What's the difference between barbecue in South Carolina, North Carolina, or different parts of South Carolina? Because that's a that's a big bone of contention. The big bone that that bone of contention actually started in about the fifties for the car. It really wasn't. At one point, all of the South barbecue looked identical. Um, when people start moving off the farms and moving into more urban areas and cities, that's when it starts taking on regional connotations. So if you want to, you got the regions of Kansas City, you got Texas, you got St. Louis, you got Chicago, uh, you got the Northeast, um, then you got the West Coast. But if you go, if, if you look at, if you follow those stories or where those people came from, like the people in Chicago brought techniques from the Mississippi Delta to Chicago. The people from Mississippi or Louisiana took a lot of the stuff to California. Uh, the people from the Carolinas took their things into New York, New Jersey. I, know, I don't want to forget about Georgia in this equation, but they would take this stuff right up 95 to Georgia. Uh, I mean, no, not Georgia, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. And so you'll see a lot of the similarities of the roots of barbecue, but the roots of the barbecue was in the South. Um, and you ask about North Carolina and South Carolina, to answer that question, the eastern half of the state, is much different than the western half of the state when it comes to barbecue. Eastern North Carolina and eastern South Carolina pretty much have the same connotation. With, and they had a whole hall tradition. Vinegar was a significant base in the barbecue sauce, which is barbecue sauce is very contentious across the regions. Um, but when you look at a vinegar pepper-based barbecue sauce, the main ingredients is what you will find in like the Texas dry rubs. And I know folks in Texas want to think they invented barbecue, but that's a misnomer. You have the enslaved Africans who brought barbecue to East Texas, and then you had um, the indigenous or, uh, Mexicans in that community who brought barbacoa, and they was there. So you can't forget, and you can't lump barbacoa in with barbecue. Those are two distinct things. What are, what's the difference? Barbacoa traditionally is cooking a head in the hole in the ground, but the head is kind of covered up. It's a almost a, a oven, whereas pip cooked barbecue is a hole in the ground, but the uh, the trench was open and you fire the coals underneath to cook throughout the cooking process. You had a way to resupply the heat source and you could cook cows, pigs, goats, lambs, sheep, turkeys, and chickens. It's not just one animal. Is barbecue just hog or is barbecue cows, sheep, turkeys, whatever? People think barbecue is the last remaining memory of barbecue is whole hog. But in the historical literature, it was whole cows, goats, um, lambs, sheep, chicken, whatever animals that were domesticated and able to grow on a farm. That's what people was cooking for barbecue. It wasn't just whole hog. So it was a style, not necessarily. It, it was a style. It, it wasn't necessary to meat. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I also appreciate that you often talk about the importance of supporting and maintaining black farming and agriculture. Talk about the future of black farming. And are you seeing a resurgence in black farming and sustainable agriculture? How do folks let's 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 start with that one. Like, is, is there a is there a future of black farming? Is there a resurgence in black farming and sustainable agriculture? 
Man, Bakar, you, you asked a question I didn't really want to – I didn't think – I was thinking that was coming, but honestly, to be truthful, I don't see a resurgence in black farming. I don't care what the numbers say. Urban farming and black farming – urban farming and rural farming are two different groups. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a rural farming community, and with acreage, when you start losing land, you start losing farmers. And it's not just – not all of the land loss issues is just on the government. Some of the land loss issues are on us as a family. Um, and how we divide land up and giving it to the right person who would be a good steward of it. Yeah. Uh, so I see it as, I hate to say it, I hate to, it's dying. And because of the land loss tradition, because of our culture, we're losing a sense of our community as black people. The land is what grounds us. A lot of people would fail to realize that would ground the black American community. The family, the land is what really anchors us. Along the same lines and issue, what do you see policymakers, if you were able to talk to Joe Biden or Henry McMaster, what would you tell them to do? If I could talk to Joe Biden or Henry McMaster, I would just give individuals a fair shot to succeed without adding extra pressures. But also realizing there has been a lot of systemic issues in the Black farmer community. For example, even in like, I'm just saying 2022. A lot of black farmers didn't get emails and getting emails for like different programs due to the Paperwork Reduction Act or with black farmers just getting help when they go into an office and don't get a receipt of service. Those are real issues. People don't really not, nobody really knows what goes on in the black farmer community because a lot of times people don't go into those rural areas. And, and I tell any of them that uh, they don't really spend time with black farmers. And I take this one personal because my father's a black farmer and it just when I see what other farmers have in the community, it almost makes you cry a lot. Hmm. Powerful. I hope people are listening, particularly those policymakers. I, I want to talk about before I let you go, uh, another tradition that you've delved into. And we talked about it a little little bit. We call it Stomp of Moonshine. Talk about that business. You said you hope to go be able to, to sell it and distribute it. In, in 2024, talk about what that requires and the culture and tradition of black distillers a bit. I feel like er Uncle Nearest um, has led a resurgence in the history and interest around black folks and how we helped build the industry in this country. And it often started by black folks in places like Manning or Denmark with their own stills making moonshine. Talk about that history and your new venture. So first it was coming legal. So 2020 it came legal. Um, that is a very hard step in and of itself to become a legal distiller by the state and federal standards. So it did that. Um, but folks fail to realize Uncle Nearest was a great store and it brought a lot of attention to it, but it was a lot of uh, Uncle Nearest's in the woods having their micro craft distilleries. And what people fail to realize when they were making stump hole liquor, they were mostly was tied to a, a farming community because Denmark, I, I know Denmark very well because my mom used to go to Voorhees, um, go he's, but, um, I'm sliding in there for them. I, I know they appreciate that. But all just aside, like the traditional barbecue and bootlegging, they go hand in hand because as a farmer, you needed a place to get rid of your product. And when yeah. you drink alcohol, you need to feed the alcohol. And generally, you feed them what coming from far. But it's a lost tradition. This is something where Black people need to be proud of this particular spirit. I know we like to drink bourbon, gins, tequilas. But moonshine was the spirit. It got a lot of black families across in the American South, and it got a lot of them educated. It mm. it actually spurred, it stimulated economies, not just uh, for the bootlegger. 
it's going to make it stimulate the whole economy in that community from the farmers to local hardware stores, local grocery stores, um, because the supplies you need to operate that look, that illegal distillery was in that community. Mm. So it's Talk a much bigger you, picture. What do you need for your business to grow and, and other black distillers, particularly throughout the South? What's necessary for them to grow? I believe first people got to really go into the business and, and not be afraid to trade in uh, to um, unfamiliar territory. Then once you do that, we need to get off the bandwagon and think because um, we really need to do our homework and understand what is made in, what is really our, our spirits. And the thing that we need the most, Bukari, we need people to support us in, in our early stages. We need people to buy product. It may take people driving from, say, a Columbia or Charleston to buy spirits because you can only retail it on site until you get the distribution systems in place. Then once you get the distribution in place, Understand and take pride. Don't be little stump hole liquor. A well-made stump hole liquor, I would say, would beat any tequila in this country. Or eat any bourbon, any whiskey. I mean, a well-made one would do what that. What does that mean? What is well-made? What is a well-made one? And tell people what stump hole means. Stump hole is when they used to sell liquor in the woods, they used to hide mason jars in stump holes so people could come pick it up and they would leave the money, but it leave the liquor so you won't get caught transferring liquor and money for alcohol and so a well-made one sometimes some stump hole liquors is trash because of the equipment they use to make it in they use inferior um equipment because that's all they have but when you use quality equipment you take your time to ferment it correctly our rival a well-made moonshine product would go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the best liquors except for because moonshine historic in the recent years came in a plastic jug they may think that's an inferior product because it ain't coming glass. But I beg to differ. Moonshine will knock you off your ass, though. It will. But a well-made moonshine, well, I'm saying the moonshine we make, and I have tested on myself, it have, it have known to put people to sleep. But you wake up in the morning and you don't have a hangover. And that's something different. Mm, that's true. Most important question, how can people follow your line and keep up with the work that you're doing? The best ways to find me online is uh, on Instagram, Howard Conyers underscore PhD or www.howardconyers.com. And uh, I'm on Instagram as Backyard Distillery LLC. So those are the best ways to handle to reach me. Um, and my website is there. Howard Conyers is a NASA, NASA engineer. Uh, barbecue historian and expert and a distiller. I want to say thank you for sharing your expertise with the Bukari Sellers Podcast. I appreciate you, brother, all the work that you do. Thank you.